You are listening to Changing the Game with me, Wilson Casado. What is the game? The game is everything. Everything from the education you receive to the career or business you pursue. In regards to diversity and inclusion, though, there isn't a level playing field. The show will allow us to hear from those who are challenging the status quo. It is about creating a new future where things are done differently, a future with diversity and inclusion, and most importantly, a future where everyone has access to play the game. Hello everyone, welcome to Changing the Game. I'm here today with Courtney Barron. Uh, Courtney, Courtney is, a, is a friend of mine. She's a senior executive with the Western Australian Executive. She, say, she has been working with, uh, you know, the Premier and the Cabinet. Uh, Courtney is a vocal advocate for women, in particularly, particularly in relation to employment, housing and health. Welcome, Courtney. Thank you, Wilson. It's nice to see you. And I should say as well, I do have my daughter in my lap, Daisy. Um, so if I look down, it's because I'm checking on my daughter. <laughs> Oh, let's make it real. That's really advocating now. <laughs> That's all right. We're a package <laughs> Yeah, fair enough. Connie, uh, what about if you talk a little bit about yourself, introduce yourself for us? Mm, okay. Um, so as you mentioned, I'm a senior executive in the WA government at Department of the Premier and Cabinet. Um, and so I've been in government for about 12 years. Um, but really, my story began much, much earlier, like everyone else's. Um, I was raised in Bunbury in Western Australia um, and raised by a single mum. Um, and we were in public housing. Um, so there was poverty, mental health. It was a challenging upbringing. Um, but, yeah, I always wanted to pursue um, work in either law or government. Um, so I worked to get into university, studied law and politics, um, and then entered the WA government and my career went from there. Um, but my passions really are lying in the not-for-profit community sector, etc. Um, and that's really where I'm focusing um, myself at the moment. Interesting. So you introduced yourself mentioning about some of the challenges you had in the beginning of your life. Uh, well, we, we, we know each other for some time and, and previous <laughs> conversations I have with, with you. Uh, it's interesting because you mentioned a lot about uh, privilege and mm -hmm. in previous conversations with me, you actually feel privileged. Absolutely. So can, you, can you talk about that sort of, uh, you know, that sort of uh, kind of a bit, uh, a small contradiction when you say it's a, a hardship, but then the privilege. Um, I think it's best summarised by my story not being one of work hard to get to where you want. It's work hard and have privilege and more opportunities present themselves than if you didn't have privilege. Um, I was born white, able-bodied, cisgendered. Um, I had access to education. So immediately there were more opportunities available for me than for other people. And I can walk into a room and pretend to be a middle-class person. Well, I probably am a middle-class person now, but people don't make assumption, negative assumptions about me from my appearance. And so that privilege coupled with the hard work allowed me to overcome the challenges that I faced. 
um, more so than I would have been able to if I didn't have those privileges. So interesting when you say about that, uh, uh, there is a, uh, when I reflect on that and talking with, you know, my friends, my colleagues at work and et cetera, so there is that sort of uh, uh, picture of myself as being immigrant, no English speaker, you know, as a Latin American sort of origin. And uh, I, I can relate pretty well with you, but regardless of those things that might look like a challenge. Mm. So yes, have access to great education, uh, you know, as I'm, I'm a male in the workforce and, and, and the privilege that, you know, the sort of access that gives me, yeah, I, I think I can understand what you mean by that. And it, it helps with your mindset as well. I mean, because if you just focus on the challenges or the hardships that you faced in a negative sense, then that's all they are to you. They don't actually serve you. Whereas if you can focus on the privilege that you had and the achievements that you made, then you're actually building on it in a positive way. So when I think about that I had challenges in life, then I think about the fact that that makes me resilient and it makes me resourceful and it helps me to be grateful for what I have. And they're all really positive things um, that I, wouldn't, I don't think I'd have otherwise. Um, and that really helps me, especially on my leadership journey. They're really important traits to have and I'm immensely grateful to have them. Um, you can't be grateful to have them without being grateful for the events that you know, allowed you to develop those traits. <laughs> Very nice. I love you taking on gratitude. Yeah. So, uh, and then look, we're here to talk about changing the game, right? So uh, uh, it's a kind of a challenging of that status quo in terms of how everything has always been. Mm. One of the things that are very uh, clear about yourself is that, you, you know, you, you, you are still a young girl, young female professional, and you do work in a very senior position with state government. So it's uh, access to, you know, as a, a premier ministers and et cetera. Well, I reckon you might have uh, some stories to share about Siri is talking. Oh, no. I don't know if I can share my stories. With <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so I would say uh, in that journey, uh, you might have had those stories of uh, finding yourself in an uncomfortable position to be for, for being a girl in that sort of setting. Mm -hmm. So is mm -hmm. that something that comes to your mind you would like to share? Oh, absolutely. The number of times where I've walked into a room and been the only female or the only person there under 40. Um, and it's not always, I have to say, like, and certainly there are the tide does start to change, but it is very slow. Um, and one event that springs to mind when I think you mentioned uncomfortable. Um, a number of years ago, I was, um, I was attending a meeting and it was all people from emergency services backgrounds. And I was the only female in the room. Um, and there were probably five other people that were all much more senior than me. And I was speaking during the meeting and um, whilst I was speaking, a person there who was a CEO level um, interjected me and commented on the top that I was wearing. <laughs> and I just, I, I immediately replied, sorry, I wasn't aware that my outfit was on the agenda, which then made everyone laugh. <laughs> right. But 
that doesn't happen, I don't think, to men as much. Or if it did happen, one has to question the reason behind it happening and why he felt it was necessary to make that comment about me and was it around gender. And I guess, um, you know, it happens and it happens, unfortunately, a lot, but I have to be careful not to have a chip on my shoulder about it. Um, So what I mean by that is I can't walk around in the world and be angry that, you know, there are not enough women at the table or that it's not operating in an inclusive way. Because if I was angry about it, then that's not really, that's not conducive to positive change. Um, So I just kind of, I call people out on it. And then if I had an opportunity afterwards, I might ask the person why they felt the need to do that. Um, But I guess the other thing that I just try and do is when it's, when I have the opportunities to influence who is at the table, I get as many women there as possible. (laughs) Mm. (laughs) Um, And I I should say, sorry, I should say it's not, it's not always men though that have made me feel like that. Um, You know, there have been scenarios where unfortunately it's been, women as well um I remember an instance where I was actually chairing a meeting but it was my first day in this role and so I didn't really know the other people um in the team very well and the executive assistant came in um, who I ended up being very good friends with I'm happy to tell this story if I need to um and she took people's coffee orders and she didn't take mine um and she just walked out the room she just blanked me and walked out the room and then came back 15 minutes later and said I'm so sorry I didn't realize you were Courtney I thought that you were the work experience student um which raises a whole other issues of why the work experience student didn't get a coffee um but yeah just assumptions on the basis of age and gender as to what my role is um yeah (laughs) so that's very interesting so so much in in what you just share so there was a there was a situation where we were talking about these meetings uh settings where yeah women is put in a position of you know, uh, not being there or, or, or you know, in the, in, in the second row of chairs and that sort of thing. And I remember having a conversation with someone uh, of the roles of the men in these sort of uh, situations. And and one thing that I, I, I actually confess that I felt inv- embarrassed because I never, I never thought about that before was the role that I could have in not allowing that to happen is uh you mentioned about you putting yourself in that position of race the voice. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think one of the contributions I can come with is actually also not accept and raise my voice mm-hmm. when I see a situation like that. You, 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 yeah. You're right. So, and, and it comes from everywhere, isn't it? It doesn't come only from, from a specific demographic. It comes from us in, 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 a, in a general setting. So, mm, interesting. Yeah. It's, it's really difficult though. Like, um, I mean, certainly I would be appreciative of a male speaking up if they saw that I was being um, treated differently. But then at the same time, if I look at it from, say, your perspective, where's the line between advocating for someone versus talking over them? So you might well, for instance, think 
perhaps it's better for me to sit back and let Courtney be the one to speak up here and give her a voice because otherwise I'm just using my privilege to, you know, to silence her. Um, and if I put that in a practical example, um, something that I've come across is um, in my teams, I very actively try and um, recruit Aboriginal people and um, people from CALD backgrounds. Um, but with that responsibility and that opportunity comes challenge. I had an instance where um, a female staff member came to me and um, she was she was an Aboriginal lady and she felt that um, something in a meeting that she attended that was said by a very senior man was racist and offended her. Um, and it was such a difficult situation for me because on the one hand, I didn't want to be the one to go then to that male and say, this is how she feels, you need to fix it, etc. because that's excluding her from the conversation and it's silencing yep. But at the same time, I had to recognise that I had privilege in that I had seniority um, and as a white person and I, I did have the opportunity to influence it. So it was kind of where do I draw that line? Um, in that scenario, um, because I didn't know how to deal with it, um, I contacted an um, Aboriginal lady in another organisation who's quite senior and sought her counsel on how to approach the situation um, because the, the victim herself, she was a younger lady and she, and she didn't know because my first call was, well, what would you like me to do to empower her? Um, and so I sought guidance from someone else um, yeah, so I think your point around speaking up, I I totally agree, but it is so complex as well because when are you speaking for someone as opposed to speaking up with them? That's awesome. So it, it, it makes me reflect. So what is my role and where where is that sort of line where we, we go or we latch? That's pretty good. I love the way uh, in, in the, the story that you share where you seek that, you know, as an external counseling sort of thing, that's a very nice example of reaching out to to learn how to deal with that diversity. And yeah, yeah, it's a pretty good. So in the journey of changing the game, one thing that I'm very curious about is as a, a key subject there is diversity and inclusion. And and as we've as we're going through this journey, so maybe it's lower than you and I would like to, but uh, the change is happening. So, you know, it's low, but it's happening. So we, we're seeing some diversity. We're seeing some, you know, more women on the, on the table or in the table. Uh, one thing that I'm curious to, to, to learn from these stories is when we do have that diversity, uh, you know, in the table, in the conversation, what is the business value that that brings? Uh, my assumption uh, or my argument is that, uh, you know, diversity and inclusion uh, is good for business. Mm. Uh, do you have, uh, what, what is your take on that? So how you see how diversity and inclusion is good for business? And I guess my take is um, slightly different because I am in government. So our outcomes are measured differently as opposed to just dollar value. Um, and there's already lots of research out there about how 
diversity in the private sector can increase profits. And I don't profess to be an expert in that. But I guess my starting point is always, if you have the same people making the decisions all the time, then you'll end up with the same decision. So if you want innovation and change, then a diversity of views will only lead you there. Um, I love having people around me who think differently to me because if we're faced with a problem and we all approach it differently and can solve it, that solution is so much stronger than if you were just a homogenous group. Um, and I think in a government setting in particular, because we're motivated by achieving, you know, a range of positive outcomes for the community, if we can be representative of the community that we are making decisions for, then hopefully the policies that we're implementing are more suitable for those people. Um, yeah. Yeah, it does make more sense in in a in a uh, in an industry setting. What I heard the other day was, well, look, the population is made up of roughly 50-50 female and males. If you mm -hmm. only have uh, male making decisions about the products we have, so a female ended up using you know, male products, which is not good for anyone, right? Mm. So you said your, your example is, you know, is a reach out to have outcomes for the community, same, same sort of logic. So that's, yeah, that's, that makes a whole sense. That's right. So, and there is, um, there is a range of interesting um, research out there as well. Um, which I'm just going to refer to, and I hope people can find their own way to it down a rabbit warren because it's just fascinating, um, about the gendered nature of the development of um, health products um, and pharmaceuticals, um, that because it's been a male-led industry, the nature of the products that have been developed and they've only been tested on men, et cetera, um, it's really fascinating. Um, yeah, I encourage people to go down that rabbit warren because it's, very fascinating <laughs> yeah very good so uh <laughs> i did have a i did have experience that i that i had the privilege to share with you so we did some uh, training to get in the past mm. so one of the things in, in the leadership wa uh opportunity that we had to share mm. one of the things that was very uh striking for me was that we had a group very diverse Mm -hmm. And in that group, not only you had different ideas to contribute to, you know, to uh, what the outcome we're looking for was, uh, but also I felt, I felt in that environment that I didn't have to wear any uh, mask or any position or any, so I, I felt safer uh, yeah. in trusting the people, regardless of the fact that we didn't know each other too well. But I just trust and I do, my perception is that that was due to the diversity because mm. I didn't see that peer base that I normally unconsciously mm. compete. Huh? Mm. So yeah, what do you think about that take? So do you, uh, do you think you have to sometimes wear a mask to be heard? And, and yeah. different settings, maybe not? I think, um, I mean, I think definitely the more homogenous the setting is, the more you would perceive that you need to wear a mask because it would be much more obvious to you what the sort of common way of conducting yourself is. Um, for me, that's something 
I used to feel like I needed to wear a mask for much of my career so far. Um, I felt that because I was a younger person, for instance, I needed to conduct myself in a very professional, I almost say cold way. I wasn't myself. Like I had one personality in the workplace and one personality outside. Mm. Um, And part of that as well probably is that I put a lot of pressure on myself. I worked so hard to get to where I was that I wanted to succeed now that I'd gotten a foot in the door. But I worked with mentors because I found that my career was just stagnating and that really helped me to take my mask off because what I found was that by not being my genuine self in the workplace, I wasn't connecting with people in the same way. Um, And once I took that mask off and I felt like myself and I valued the relationships that I had with people as much as the work itself, you know, I was there to build relationships as much as I was there to to deliver the other um, outputs, then that's when I found that my career really took off. Um, And I, I like to think now that in the teams that I have, I have that same level of trust as what you talk about when we were on our leadership course, because I know exactly what you mean. I didn't feel that I had to be anyone but myself. Um, because I didn't see any sort of dominant way of behaving when I walked into the room. I didn't feel that I had to pretend in order to fit in um, because there was nothing to fit in with. <laughs> yeah, um, this, that, that's such an important aspect, isn't it? That sort of, uh, you know, recognizing yourself, who you are and just being you. Well, yeah. that, that's pretty good. So uh, that might lead to my next question to you. So... <laughs> One of the things that I have been asking uh, in, in the perspective of changing the game is, is what we can do to help uh, young girls and women uh, you know, to, to, to achieve, to, to, to change the status quo, to be comfortable in that sort of work setting. Now, you did mention to me that you, we are now in that sort of International Women Day sort of uh, mm. you know, time and, and doing the celebrations and doing the talks. Mm. So you mentioned to me that you're going to have some chat. Uh, and I think your take is in regard to the imposter syndrome sort of perspective of it. Mm. I have a, do you want to say something about it? Yeah. So in a couple of weeks, I'm presenting at the um, Port Hedland Chamber of Commerce and Industry International Women's Day event. Um, and I'll be talking about my experiences with imposter syndrome um, and how I have learned to deal with it. Um, I'm not going to say overcome it because I think it's something that's almost always there. Um, and I'm also going to talk about why I think it's more prevalent in women and how I see it commonly in the women that I mentor and work with. Um, and yeah, and how to have conversations with women and that we suspect might be suffering from imposter syndrome, um, and how to have that out in the open. Um, But when we talk about things to help women in the workplace, I mean, Women's Day events and special events for women are great, but for me, it's actually about day-to-day decision-making and how the workplace operates. In a day-to-day sense, how are we including women and operating in an inclusive manner? Um, And I separate the two because having representation of women is one thing, but being able to, for the workplace to conduct themselves, and sorry, my 
daughter is kicking my computer. <laughs> Sorry, I apologize. If I my... was asking myself, was what, what was happening with Connie's uh, camera? <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so my point was that the number of women or the representation of women is important for a start. Um, you know, I like to walk into a workplace and see women at all levels, not just at junior levels um, or not just in the traditional female roles, like administrative roles, and they're undoubtedly the most important in the organisation anyway, but at all levels, a true representation of women. But in addition to that, it only goes so far if you have women there, but the workplace is still operating in a male-centric sense. What are we doing to actually make the workplace more comfortable for women and more inclusive? Um, you know, as an example, are there family rooms at the workplace where women who are breastfeeding can express milk? Is there flexibility with start and finish times so that if women need to drop the children at daycare or pick up for an emergency, can they do that? Um, you know, is the workplace located near public transport? Or if not, do the women have access to a car? Because if they don't, how are they going to get their child if there's an emergency? So there are, there are practical things that we can do um, to help women feel included. I've focused on child parenting because that's the position that I'm in right now. But there are the things that we can do to help women feel included and not limited to those that relate to children. I've just taken that perspective because that's my personal position right now. So I don't mean to exclude any women who are not in that position, but that's my personal views right now. So I'm hearing to what you're saying and, you know, what is going on in my mind is, wow, how, how good are we in our company to, to make, you know, the women feel comfortable. So uh, we, we, we used to think that we are excellent on that and, you know, inclusive and et cetera, but every single example you, you, you give is, oh, do we do this? Oh, do we do that? So that's, that's a very good example. So it's a very, uh, it's a very good point for reflection for me. And the number of times I see government, companies, whatever organisation describe themselves as agile and inclusive, et cetera, and then their job advertisements, for instance, are only full-time. They don't allow people to apply part-time. I mean, what if we thought a bit more creatively? What if two people who were looking for a part-time opportunity could fill the one full-time position? Um, that tends to only happen in my experience where there's an incumbent who is full-time who then needs part-time. But if organisations are really agile and inclusive, why are we not looking for those people from the outset? Um, yeah, it's it's a real bugbear for me at the moment and something that I'm certainly going to try and pursue as much as I can. Um, I mean, already I try and um, have greater flexibility, as great as flexibility as I can with offering positions as part-time. Um, but when I go back to work soon, um, I'll look for more opportunities to be able to do that. Oh, that's pretty nice. Uh, Courtney, I think we... we we could we could stay here for another hour, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> yeah, believe enough. Believe you're not, you know, the time is just fly. So I love I would love to, to to thank you to take some time to have a chat, you know, with us and to 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 share your experiences. I think that's just the start of the journey. So you know, we're gonna be talking much more and we're gonna be assessing how how, how more can we help, how you know what we, what we can add and 
and really struggling, you know, not only we're doing good things, uh, you know, the right things, but we're doing things that's good, uh, you know, good, it makes sense for everyone. Yeah. So, and I to it, if I can, um, if I can say one more thing, <laughs> is you really can, you can say one or two or three. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the thing that I like about this conversation um, is that this conversation itself is diverse because we have, whilst we have similarities, we have different backgrounds and experiences. The key to diversity and unlocking change is empowering those impacted by it to be the ones to make the change. So what I mean by that is, you know, if we're talking about how do we involve more Aboriginal people in the workplace, then allowing the Aboriginal people to be the ones to drive that. And we, you know, I would see my role in that instance is just using my position, my influence, my resources to support them rather than me making the decisions for them. When we're talking about women, letting the women drive it and make the decisions. Um, yeah, I think that by working together and involving the people that are impacted, that it's actually there's so many opportunities rather than challenges. Uh, I love it. Uh, Connie, if, uh, are you uh, open for people to reach out to you and connect? So if people want to ask you questions, so how, how, how could they reach to you? Absolutely. Um, LinkedIn is probably the easiest way to contact me. Um, I'm not sure if you can include my LinkedIn details with the, with the podcast or with the video. Yeah, we, we can definitely do when we when we promote it, we, we make sure we, we, we mention those links to reach to you. Yeah. LinkedIn's the best way. Um, and I love I love always meeting people, having a chat, anything about um, diversity and women's issues. Yeah, very happy to have a chat and share ideas. So thank you very much for you know giving uh, your time to for, for us to do the changing the game podcast. Thank and I'm you. pretty sure that we're going to keep in touch and talk more about this. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me, Wilson. Thank you. Thank you.